I've titled it Famous Last Words. And uh, in preparation for that, uh, I looked up, probably spent more time than I should have, in looking up famous last words from famous or somewhat famous people. And uh, Voltaire, after being asked by a priest to renounce Satan, said this, now is not the time for making new enemies. It's like, whoa. Chico Marx, one of the Marx brothers, told his wife this. Remember, honey, don't forget what I told you. Put in my coffin a deck of cards, a mashy niblick, and a pretty blonde. A mashy niblick is a seven iron golf club. I had to look that up. Charles Darwin, who's uh, known as the father of evolutional theory. Uh, I am not the least afraid to die. Wonder if he could say the same now. Joan Crawford, who was a famous American actress, who uh, yelled at her housekeeper while her housekeeper was praying for her when Crawford was on her deathbed. She said, don't you dare ask God to help me. Uh, someone who was a murderer, I'm not going to say his name because I don't like giving uh, credit to those individuals, but I have to tell you, I, I did laugh. As he was standing in front of a firing squad, he was asked uh, if he had a last request. And he, re he replied, could you bring me a bulletproof vest? Harriet Tubman, who uh, escaped slavery and, and led others out as well, her last words were four pretty good ones. Swing low, sweet chariot. Mozart, good old Amadeus. I really like this quote. It, he said, I feel something that is not of this earth. And uh, Edgar Allan Poe, who uh, was an American writer known for his poems, pretty macabre, pretty dark, but uh, supposedly his last words were, Lord, help my poor soul. Now there's a whole bunch of others that, you know, are kind of funny. Uh, some are really sad. I tried to share just a, a few of those and some that really made me think but this morning, we're going to look at the Apostle Paul's last words as recorded in Scripture. And we are at the point where last week we heard from Sean Kennedy, and he shared with us the importance of Scripture and of doctrine and of the church. And um, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy that we're looking at today, and next week in the book of Titus, those are known as the pastoral epistles. Those are three different letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to his young disciples. Two of them were to Timothy, and as we see next week, one of them was to Titus. And so as we dig on in there, um, I just thought, wow, um, there is so, so much richness within this letter. Paul's writing it, um, uh, he's close to death. He knows his time is coming, and so he's lonely, 
only Luke is with him. Others have deserted him, uh, some for bad reasons, some because he sent them off to other places, so they were good reasons, but he was still feeling that, that loneliness. And so, um, you know, uh, I, I don't know uh, how it'll be. I can only imagine that if I had the opportunity to um, be able to control when the Lord brings me home, uh, I would think I would love to have my family gathered together. You know, doesn't mean it's going to happen, but I, I think that would be what I would like to do. Those that are closest to me, to to be there by my side. And as Paul writes this letter to his disciple Timothy, that's what he's doing. In the beginning of the book, he just asks him, man. Man, can can you come? Come. And then at the end, in chapter 4, he's just asking him again, Hey, my son. And he wasn't his physical son. Uh, Timothy was was the the son of a Greek father and a Jewish mother. And uh, we don't have any idea that his father knew about Jesus, but we do know that uh, he did from his mother and his grandmother in verse 5 of chapter 1. And Paul poured into his life, poured into his life for a number of years, starting back in Acts chapter 16. A lot of commentators say that, that Timothy joined him when he was a teenager, and now maybe he's probably close to 30 when you think about the timelines. And so Paul is reaching out to him again. He's already written him one letter. He wrote him and Titus a letter at about the same time. And now here we are about two years later, maybe almost three years later. And then he's writing his very last recorded words that we have in Scripture. And... He's writing them to Timothy. And so as we look at this today, I, I hope that we can look at it soberly and, and just we can't possibly go over everything in here that he hit on. But, but I wanted to hit on probably about seven or eight passages or verses in this book that uh, some of them we're very familiar with, some of them maybe not so much familiar with, but I thought it was well worth it to look at the Apostle Paul's last words. So if you'll uh, turn with me to chapter 1, um, I look at this as uh, Paul passing on the baton of leadership. Paul was passing on that baton and saying, okay, you know what, my time is just about over. And so the things that have been entrusted to me, I'm going to entrust to you so that you in turn can entrust these to faithful men. So in chapter 1, look with me at uh, verse 7. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. That's a passage that I don't remember when I first heard about it or read it, but 
I, I was struck by it because there's times when I feel weak, when I feel scared, when I feel like, oh man, I, I can't possibly do something. When I think about it, uh, I, I forget that, that I'm not doing this in my own power. And I don't know if you can relate to that or not. You know, but uh, there's times when I'm feeling as if I am, I am strong in the Lord, but then if I get caught off guard, if, if a circumstance comes and I didn't see it coming, and then all of a sudden, I, I, for some reason, I go into this mode of either self-preservation or into this mode of, okay, I got to get it done. And there are times when I have completely forgotten to invite the Holy Spirit. I have completely ignored that He is right there with me. And so I, I love this verse because it says, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity. We're not wimps. We're not weak. And the reason why we're not weak is solely because we have Christ. Are we weak if we try to do things in our own strength? Absolutely. Yes. But because we have Christ and because the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, we have a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. And so I just thought, you know what? That's always a challenge to me. And I don't know who in here today, maybe this passage is, is the one that God's going to speak out to you the most about today. That we're not helpless we don't have to, you know, be a wall mat, a doormat. But that we have a spirit of power. And we also have the, the, the potential of great love. Not because we're good at giving love, but because of the spirit of God who lives within us who empowers us to love others. It's easy to love others who love us, right? How about the people who don't love us? That can be neutral. Maybe they don't know us. Or it can be enemies. And, and in this circumstance, in this letter, Paul is continually encouraging Timothy. It's like, hey, man, st just stand your ground. This is going to be tough. Don't be ashamed of me because I'm in prison like some others are. Don't be embarrassed by me. And so I love this verse. It just brings me great encouragement. It also challenges me greatly because uh, power and of love and of self-discipline. I struggle in that one. I struggle in that one because uh, uh, I, I, I'm battling, you know, the, the, um, that self-gratification. I'm the kind of guy, let me eat my dessert first, then I'll eat dinner. <laughs> right? 
And so the self-discipline of, no, I eat dinner, or I'm not even, you know, kind of uh, get off on the different things that I, I probably should not be eating and that I should be eating. And so, you know, that's an area that God is constantly working on my heart on. Doesn't mean he's working on your heart in that way, but he is on mine. Uh, another passage, if, if you turn to chapter 2, and uh, uh, verses uh, 1 and 2, it says, You then, my son, again, Paul talking to his beloved Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses Entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. And he goes on and he talks about endure hardship. And he uses three different examples. He uses the example of a good soldier to be disciplined, to do what your commanding officer has you to do instead of what you feel like doing. Or an athlete who has to go into strict training if they want to accomplish the goal of being victorious. Or he, he then also talks about, you know, um, uh, a farmer down in, in verse 6. All of those things, it, 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 it takes discipline and it's hard. But in verse 2, it says, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, he says, and trust to reliable men. He's already challenged him. Timothy, you, you got to own this. Continue living it out. I know it's going to be hard. But he goes on and he talks about the, the crown that comes with it, the reward that comes with staying faithful to Jesus. And trust to reliable men. Think about it. Jesus entrusted the entire future of the truth of who he was with 12 very ordinary guys. And the one who was most qualified, the one who everybody would have said, oh yeah, that's, that's the best of your lot, is a guy by the name of Judas. And yet Jesus entrusted these men and empowered these men. And because of these men and their faithfulness, we have what we have today. Because then they entrusted it to other faithful men and other faithful women who then continued it on. It's like when, you know, asking for a teacher for a Sunday school or asking for someone who will hold the babies in the nursery. You know, they may not understand the words, but I tell you what, they understand the touch of love. And that's something that we get to give. We get to make an impact. We get to continue on. That's how we help make sure that the gospel reaches the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. 
what Patrick and the volunteers are doing with, with our youth. So, so vitally important. Because we look at the statistics and we see that so many people are, are just walking away from Christ. We're going to continue seeing that. It's not going to get easier, folks. It wasn't easy 2,000 years ago. It's only going to get worse. And yet, these words where Paul's telling him, man, entrust these things to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. It's just like um, discipleship. Don't tell me what your disciples look like. Tell me what your disciples' disciples look like. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Um, it's not just our church. It's churches all around. We're doing a horrible job. We are. And so um, we're all called to make disciples, but yet somehow we kind of will make different excuses, right? Oh, well, I'm not an evangelist. Oh, well, I'm not a, a pastor. Or I'm not. A, no, that, that calls to everybody. That calls not to pastors or elders or missionaries only. That calls to each and every one of us. I know kids who are in elementary school, they are, they are discipling their peers. Not because they have this discipleship program and this process where, okay, come here, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to disciple you. They do it through their life. And they do it because they're so great. They're like, hey, you want to come to church? We have a great time. And, and they, they just do that. The youth do that. Adults do that. And we're just called to make sure that we are continuing that. Drop down to uh, verse 15. Because this is a verse, I wasn't in Awana, because I didn't come to Jesus until I was 18 years of age. But Awana is an acronym that stands for what? Approved workmen are not ashamed. Right? That's where you get that acronym, that word Awana. It's not some African word that means something different. It's an acronym. And it comes right here from chapter 2, verse 15, where Paul writes these things. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Now, again, understand this. Paul is giving these last words to Timothy, but please don't think that this only applies to Timothy and that you and I are off the hook. We're not. Philippians 4. It's all right, Dale. No problem. So, uh, you know, we look at this verse, and it's great for our kids. It's great when we say, yeah, yeah, memorize verses. Yeah, get God's word into your heart. But how, how many of us are continually immersing ourselves in God's word? With the kids, we bribe them, right? We give them little jewels, give them little stickers, let them go and get little toys. Yee hee! And, and, and okay. But for us, 
See, this is a, an inward reflecting time. Where are we at with God's word? Reason why, you know, I, I, I asked Zach to turn the lights up and, and I'm not putting it on there is because, you know, where are we at with getting back into God's word and using it? And I, I, I use this, others use the electronics. That's cool, but where we're engaging in it. Because when we're not, we're, we're only getting what we're asking for. We wonder why we're, we're tired, or why we're bored, or why the pastor didn't feed me, or why I just didn't get something out of the message. Guess what? If this is the only time you're getting fed, you aren't healthy. You aren't healthy. Now, whoever's filling this pulpit has a responsibility to open up God's Word. But each and every one of you, and myself when I'm not up here, I have a responsibility of filling up on God's Word day after day. That's where I get rejuvenated. That's where I get encouraged. That's where I get challenged. And as we are going to see, you know, in chapter 3, it's where I get corrected, where I get reproofed, where I get trained. So please, let's not just keep this as a as a children's verse. This is a believer's verse. Uh, another one in, in chapter 2, just dropping down to verse 22. Paul writes this, Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Flee the evil desires of youth. Um, You know what? Uh, That that really kind of means that anything that produced evil thoughts, and uh, I'm an old man, but you know what? I still have evil desires in my youth. Timothy was a young guy. But I still will, uh, I'm finding myself that I'm still struggling with different desires that are not from God. Some of them stem from my younger years. They didn't just start. It's been something that struggle over many, many years. So this verse I wanted to highlight to you because it doesn't matter young or old. Don't think that, oh, yeah, I've got that one. that one, that one's conquered. Yeah, that's no problem. Be careful. And is it really? But the challenge here, pursue. Here's what you need to, you're running away from these things, Timothy, but here's what you got to run toward. Run toward righteousness. Even if it's not popular. Even if people will make fun of you. Run towards faith. Run towards love. 
run towards peace. I just, uh, I've loved that passage and the challenge that it brings to, to my heart. Now we drop down to chapter 3. And in chapter 3, verse 16, Sean hit on it uh, a little last week. He said, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Why? Why? Well, look at verse 17. So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Do you want to be equipped or do you want to be ill-equipped? I think we've got a lot of ill-equipped uh, believers. I think we have a lot of ill-equipped people who think they're believers and they're not. Why? Because they're not, they're not looking to God's Word to teach them. They're not allowing God's Word to correct them. They don't want to be trained in God's Word. And that's why the church, I believe, has a, a poor witness many times. Man, I'd, I'd rather people just keep their mouth shut. Quit telling others, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. When they're completely living a life that is contrary to God's Word. I'm not saying we have to be perfect. You guys know, I've told you time and time again, how I've got so many things in my life that I'm constantly trying to take before God. My family can tell you all of the different things that I struggle with. But that's completely different than just ignoring those things and pretending as if they don't matter, they don't mean anything, because it's only just about Jesus. No, we're, we're supposed to be witnesses for him. That's what Christian means, little Christ. It was a derogatory term when it first came out, when it was first used. Oh, you little Christ. Huh. Listen, it's a derogatory term today. But... Let it be derogatory because we are reflecting Jesus Christ, not because we are being hypocrites of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? Let, let that be all right, because Jesus endured that. He told his disciples, hey, yeah, they're, they're, they're going to hate you just like they hate me. They're going to treat you just like they treat me. Paul's telling that to Timothy. Man, you got to endure the hardship because it's, it's hard. It's really difficult, but the prize is worth it. Chapter 4, verse 2. And uh, um, please don't think that this is only for the preacher. Because in verse 2 it says, Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Now, un un understand this. Um, even though these are called the pastoral epistles, um, Timothy and Titus, most likely, they weren't pastors. They were just who Paul sent out to the different areas. Paul sent Titus down to Crete. And we'll get into that next week. 
You've heard about the term, you know, you're such a cretin. That is not a compliment. You're going to find out why next week. But he was down there and he was to help provide leadership, the structure of leadership in these different churches down on that island. Timothy was called to provide structure and to pass on what Paul had entrusted to him to not just one church, but other churches all around in Ephesus. So he's just encouraging him, but he would be encouraging each and every single one of us, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. That means always be ready to serve God in any situation. Oh, but it's kind of inconvenient for me. You know, I, I, I'd, I'd, like to, I'd like to teach, you know, but, you know, I, I just don't want to miss a, a, a Sunday. I, I'd like to help out on that ministry, but, you know, that just kind of conflicts with um, time I, I, I need to go to the gym. Time out, pause. I'm not saying anything negative about going to the gym. Okay? I need to be doing that more often. So please don't think that. I'm not trying to throw a guilt trip. I'm just trying to help us put this in the proper perspective. Start prioritizing some of these things. And the reason why I say that is because, guess what? There's 20% of you in here who do not need this message. 20% of you, you don't need this message. Because that old axiom, you know, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. Guess what? It's true universally. So if 20% of you don't need this message, 80% of you do. And that's not up to me to determine or to decide. That's up to the Holy Spirit to work within each and every individual heart and life. It's up to you to respond to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. So I'm not just talking about these things as if, oh yeah, there's only a few of us that need this. No, a majority of us do. And if you think you don't, um, and you're not within that 20%, then you definitely need this more than you even know. doesn't matter when it's convenient or not. He's saying, be prepared in season and out of season to serve God, to share His Word. And he says, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Drop on down to uh, verses 6 in chapter 4. And he says this. This one, um, man. He says, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering. That's an Old Testament reference where you would pour the wine on, uh, as an offering on the altar. The best wine, just like you would present a, a spotless lamb. So not some cheap two-buck chuck wine, but the best. And you'd pour that out 
That was your drink offering. And he says, I I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. He knows, like, yep, it's going to be happening soon. But look at what he says in verse 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Boy. Only a man who has devoted his life, literally devoted his life to his Savior, could say those words and mean it and know that they're true. There's times I can feel like, yeah, I fought, I fought pretty good today. Or I fought pretty good this week. says, I have finished the race. I don't know about you, but there's times I don't even feel like I've started the race. I feel like I've, I've DQ'd in the race. I feel like I'm just like, oh, I, I pulled a hamstring. I twisted an ankle. I don't know if I could do this. I'll make excuses like crazy. And yet, no, Paul's is like, man, I've finished. It doesn't matter if he came limping in. And in Paul's case, at this time that he's writing... He's chained to a ball. He's in chains. And he's still, he has still finished the race. And he says, I have kept the faith. Wow, I love those words. And then look at what he says in verse 8. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, hear this loud, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Paul's not going to be the only recipient of this crown of righteousness. All, All who believe in Jesus are too. I don't have time to be able to uh, share with you, but I wanted to share with you, what about Jesus' last words? And there's seven different recordings of Jesus' last words while he was on the cross. Um, He said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. In Luke, he says, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise when the thief on the cross Asked him to remember me. Speaking to John and Mary, Jesus said, Dear woman, here is your son and, and here is your mother. Making sure that his mother was taken care of. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 46, he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then in John chapter 19, verse 28, he says, I'm thirsty. And then two verses later, he says, it is finished. And finally, the last words, Luke chapter 23, verse 46. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And guess what? Those weren't his last words. Because he rose again. And his last words when he rose again. He reinstated Peter in John chapter 21. 
after Peter denied him three times, he had Peter say, ah, yes, Lord, you know I love you, three times. And then he also uh, gave the Great Commission. And in the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, basically what he, he reminded his disciples, you're under my authority. You're not doing this on your own. You're doing this under my authority. So get that straight. Next, he, he challenges them. So you've got to make more disciples. Baptize and teach new believers. To do what? To obey all that I have commanded you. And then finally, he reminds them that he will be with them always. So, my... my Closing, my, my, I'm just going to close with uh, about four or five questions. What, what are your last words? What would you hope would be your last words? What does your life say about you? What do you want it to say about you? Because it's not over. If you don't know Christ, you can change it right now. And if you do know Christ, and you're like, you know what? Um, I wanted to say that I tried my very best to follow Jesus and to trust Him in all areas of my life. My struggles. Paul's in horrible circumstances. We saw in the video, and, and I, I love that, where he, he even says, hey, only Luke's with me, but he says in verse four, 17 of chapter 4, but the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. Doesn't matter what circumstances we're in. I heard some bad news this morning. I heard some bad news on Friday. But Christ is still with us. Right there. He's never abandoned us. He's never left us. He's walking with us where we are at. And then what steps, what steps do you need to take to align your knowledge, your information, with your actions? See, each one of us needs to take different steps. And again, that's up to God to reveal that to you. But are you even asking him to? I mean, are you asking him to? No matter what's, whatever circumstances you're in, remember that Jesus is with you. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them, but the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen and amen. Let's pray.
Lord God, I thank you for your incredible love and the grace that we've been given and the, the fact that you have entrusted us with this most precious news. Lord, may your Holy Spirit challenge us wherever we need to be challenged. And may we be bold enough to trust you and take the step or steps to allow you to transform us from the inside out. Let's pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.